Well, it is a privilege to be with all of you. This is a uh, this is a special place to both Carol and to me. We uh, we started our married life here. I was on the staff while Jim Baird was the pastor here many years ago. Uh, I was on the staff each summer out of college uh, until I finished seminary, graduate school of theology, until I finished. And then uh, during the last two summers between him, uh, I lived here and had a clinical year. And Carol and I actually were married uh, while living here. This is where we started our our uh, home and our family. We uh, uh, conceived our first child here and uh, grew up in the same neighborhood with Chip. So uh, we've known each other for a long time. It was 42 years ago next month that uh, we left here to go to uh, uh, finish the last year of seminary and then move to Atlanta. So anyway, it's, uh, this is a special, special place to us. Some of our dearest friends come out of this church. So we are very, very thankful uh, to be here. I had the opportunity to choose whatever subject I want to speak on uh, outside of a given direction a church is taking, and usually they say, you choose. Uh, Well, uh, without a doubt, I'm going to choose the very same message. Without apology, I've given this message many, many, many times. And the reason, twofold, one, I don't think there's a message that I could give that's more important particularly to the Christian, but not only the Christian, but particularly to the Christian, than this particular message. In addition to that, I had the privilege of speaking to our denomination, our, our General Assembly, uh, this last uh, month, and, uh, and I actually preached on this, and afterwards Chip mentioned he would love for me to preach on this here. So with that in mind, I get to do the very thing I wanted to do anyway. Uh, you'll see why this is such an important subject matter. It's important because it's about the Holy Spirit. You don't hear a lot today about the Holy Spirit in many places. Other places you hear a lot about the Holy Spirit. I'll say this. Many of us, me included, want to somewhat pull away from addressing the subject matter of the Holy Spirit because of the abuse given to the theology of the Holy Spirit. And there is a lot of it where people are going to extremes, thinking things that aren't biblical and so forth. And as a result, many of us want to pull away and say, let's stay away from that. That's not to our betterment, I'll assure you. I found it interesting as you observe the great movements of God around the world, doesn't matter here and abroad, you watch, there is an emphasis on the work of God's Spirit. There's just an emphasis. There's an environment where people think about the Spirit of God and His role in our lives. I know for me, Chip as well, I came to understand the work of the Holy Spirit through a parachurch organization. I had been in Gadsden, Alabama, where I was raised, where Chip was raised, and uh, was in a great church. Jim Baird had just come to First Presbyterian Church of Gadsden, and boy, did God use that time in my life. But at the same time, Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew, birthed its high school ministry in our high school. Now, the president and founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, as it was known then, the founder and president, a man named Dr. Bill Bright, I don't know how many times I heard him speak. 
Dozens, dozens, 30, 40, I don't know how many times. But if I heard him speak 30 times, I think I heard him speak 30 times on the power of God's Spirit. In our student world then, it was just understood that you better rely on the Spirit of God. Now I hear very little in many circles of faith. I'm convinced to the degree that we are captivated by the understanding of God's Spirit in our lives. To that degree, God does great things in and through us. For that reason, I want to hit that subject matter today. Now, our text is Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to me, Romans 6, beginning in verses 1 through 13. I'm not going to read the entire text. I'm going to read some verses from that text. As you find that, I know that some of you who are more biblically oriented might be thinking, now wait, you're saying that you're going to talk about the work of God's Spirit and you're taking us to Romans chapter 6. Why would you do that? Well, let me just remind you if you already know and tell you if you don't that chapter 6 is connected to chapters 7 and 8. And when you come to chapter 8, the culmination of this great embodiment of truth of God's work in our lives, 20 times in the 8th chapter, you're going to see the Holy Spirit referred to. 20 times. It's around a subject called being led by the Spirit of God in that chapter. Interesting term, led by the Spirit of God. So there is definitely a connection. But what we're going to see here in chapter 6 is somewhat of the mechanics as to how this happens, that the Spirit of God empowers us. So with that, I'm going to make three statements. The first two are so simple. Any of you who've been Christians much of any time whatsoever will understand this will be, this will be stuff you don't even need to hear, except you need to be reminded before you hear the third and final statement. That's where we take a deep dive, all right? Simple but important. Here are the first, here's the first of three statements, foundational statements. Number one, there are two kinds of people in the world. Now, I've been here many, many years ago, and I, I know the church then, and I would have to assume that it's more typical that you're not going to respond very much to what I say. You're going to sit and listen, and I'm to speak. Now, I'm going to push that boundary just a little bit, and so if you wouldn't mind, I would love to have you respond to me a little bit. Can you do that? Oh, you did it right? Good. All right. So, here we go. There are two kinds of people. Here's the first. I'm going to tell you the first kind of person, and I'm going to ask you to tell me what the second kind of person is, based on just hearing the first. Here's the first. Number one, there is the natural man. All right? Natural man. So if there is natural man and there's only one other kind of man, what kind is the second kind? Spiritual man. Very good. So we know that. All right, how about this one? There are names given to each person as to someone with whom we exist. The first, called the natural man, is in a person's name. Does anybody know that? name? We're in who? Natural man is in who? 
Adam. There you go. Natural man is in Adam, it says in the scripture. Now, in meaning in the likeness of. We're in the likeness because Adam sinned, we all sin, Romans chapter 5. So we are in Adam. Now, when we are now in someone else, we become a spiritual person. Who are we in now? We're in Christ. That's the term that's used. It's called a mystical union. It's the idea that Christ is in me. I am in Christ. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. Mystical. Hard to understand, but it's a reality very important to the Christian. So we know this. There are two kind of people, and most important to know that we're in one or the other, and certainly to know that we're in Christ. Now, interesting to know, those that are in Adam... Can you tell me how many natures that person has? How many natures does the person have who's in Adam? I'm going to make it real simple. I'll give you a multiple choice. One or two. Which would you say? One. Very important. One per one nature. It's an old sinful nature. Therefore, if you are in Christ, you have two natures. Right? You have the old sinful nature and you have God's nature a part of who you and I are. So there's your first. We're already ready to move to number two, all right? Number two, there are two certainties true of every spiritual person. So let's set aside the natural person for a while here. Let's just take the spiritual person. Two things we know are certain about the person who is truly a Christian in Christ. The first thing is they are sealed with the Holy Spirit, S-E-A-L-E-D, sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13, after having heard and believed, heard the gospel about Jesus and believed, it says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit is given to us never to leave us again. If a real Christian, always a Christian, always having God's Spirit within them, all right? Sealed with God's Spirit. Here's the second thing true of every spiritual person. They are capable, which says it's not necessarily happening, but they are capable of being filled with the Spirit, F-I-L-L-E-D. Meaning that as a Christian, you and I can be filled with the Spirit. We cannot be filled with the Spirit. Maybe we are, maybe we're not. It's for that reason that you find so much of the Apostle Paul's teaching focused on this idea of the Spirit. You see, in the book of Ephesians 5.18, a text many of us will be familiar with, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right? Okay, we're supposed to be filled. You come to Romans chapter 8, and it says we are to be led by the Holy Spirit. Same thing, it's referring to the very same thing. Filled with the Holy Spirit, led with the Holy Spirit. You come to Galatians chapter 5. In the 16th verse, here's an interesting text. It says, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the, anybody know? Flesh. Flesh refers to sin. The fallen nature of man. Said, you walk by the Spirit, whatever that means, to be led by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to, uh, you know, walk, whatever it is. It says, you do that, and this is what will happen. You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Folks, that's the sin life that we live. 
Any of you have any problem with any sins? Well, of course you do. I do too. Well, what's the way to deal with them? Well, it, it's not by the human willpower. It's by God's power. That's why I love to call this message, though it's about appropriating the power of God's Spirit, it's really the deceit of willpower. Because we believe that, you know what? You can live the Christian life willing yourself into obedience. And that is not the way to live. For instance, any of you, any of you have any enemies? I mean, somebody you'd really say, this is an enemy. I cannot stand this person. What they did to me is so harmful. It was so wrong. I will never be able. I mean, they're my enemy. And then you read the word of God and it says, oh, by the way, love your enemies. You mean love that person? No way I can love them. That's impossible. Even people who are married that just are at the point of despising their spouse, the way they're treated, the way they act, you go, my goodness, I could never love this person. And then the Bible says we're to love our spouse. Wait, how can I love my spouse? How many times? I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, let's go beyond the idea of of hate. What about despair? Any of you just finding the circumstances of life right now just crushing you? And, and you're in despair. You say, I, I'm hopeless. I, some turn to apathy and just say, I, I, I just, I don't know, I can't keep going. And then we realize that the Bible says, oh, be joyful. Rejoice in all things. Are you kidding me? Rejoice in what I'm going through? I can't do it. I wish I could. I, I just can't do it. Or how about any of us here find ourselves waking up in the middle of the night? Stomach is tight when we get up and we'd say, I can't go back to sleep. I, I'm thinking about what might happen. It could happen. It probably is going to happen. It's what I don't want to happen. And I'm just like, oh. And then we read the scriptures say, be anxious for nothing. But I can't be anxious. I, I'd love to be. I'll try to be, but I, I just can't do it. Then you come a little further in Galatians chapter 5 to verse 22, 23, and it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Are you catching on here? How do, you, how do you love when you hate somebody? How do, you, how do you have joy when you feel hopeless? How in the world can you, how can you find peace in the midst of incredible anxiety? Well, apparently there's only one way. It's through the work of God's Spirit that that can happen. I've met with many a church person through the years, couples that are ready to divorce. They've been in, in church for many years, seem to love the Lord, walk with the Lord, and they say, well, we just can't go any further. We just, I say, are there any biblical grounds you know of? No, we just don't like each other. We just can't do it. We just, we just <clears throat> can't do it. I say, so you just can't love each other. Mm -mm. I say, let me ask you this. Are you a Christian? I ask them both. Are you a Christian? They both, of course we love. Yes, we're, do you love them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We just can't love each other. We love the Lord. I love to say, then, can I just make this request of you? Don't ever 
say again, I cannot love her. I cannot love him. Why don't you say this instead? Maybe I won't. I choose not. I will not love him or her. But maybe more appropriate, you should say this. I don't know how to. I would if I could, but I can't. I just can't do it. Would you remember that? The little words, I can't, you're going to see at the end. That's important. I can't. I said, well, you know, it's interesting. Scripture says there's no temptation taking you, but it's common to man. And God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. So when you say you can't, God says you can. So we got a problem somewhere. Definitely have a problem. See, I'm convinced that most Christians are powerless. They don't live in the power of God. And as a result, they only have willpower, and willpower won't take them far enough. I had a man that, uh, I have a man that's in our church that uh, is a security guard for us at our church. And the security guard, uh, this particular one, comes by bicycle. I saw him last week, riding his bicycle. And uh, I came in one morning, a number of years back, and, and he comes at the same time as I'm driving in, he's riding in on his bike. And as he parks the bike, I go up to him and I say, man, I'm really impressed. So where'd you come from? He said, well, I came from my home. Where do you live? He told me where he lived. It's a, it's a good way away. I know plenty of hills. And I'm like, wow. Not that he looks terribly out of shape, but he didn't look like a, a cyclist, somebody that could do that. And I said, man, I'm impressed. He said, well, don't be. He said, what do you mean don't be? He said, look at my bike. So I look at the bike. It's a little sturdier than most bikes, but then it had handlebars and two pedals. And, you know, it looked like a bike to me. I said, what about it? He said, Look down by the pedals. You see that little box? So, yeah. That's a motor. Don't be impressed. He said, every time I hit a hill, I hit a little button right there by the handlebar, and that turns that motor on. It takes me right up to the top of the hill, so I don't ever have to worry about hills. And I heard that, and I said, is that not the perfect illustration of living the Christian life? What happens to you and me who are Christians? Don't we appreciate the fact that Jesus died for us? I mean, what can he that spared not his own son, how shall he not with us freely give us all things? That's pretty big. Gave us his son. No wonder we would wake up as Christians if we understand our faith and say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And today I'm going to love you and serve you and follow you. And I'm committed and I will be obedient. And Lord, yeah, here's my life. And then we start out. We get on our so-called bicycle of life and we start going till we see this big hill and it's a hill of temptation, one that's easily thrown us off before we go, oh, I see this temptation. And Lord, this one, I'm going all the way to the top. I'm not getting off. I'm going to make it to the top. And so we give it all of our energy. We make it halfway up the hill and finally we have to get off and we feel so embarrassed, shamed. Just, God, how could I do that after what you've done for me? I promise you tomorrow when I hit this hill, I will make it to the top. So the second day, man, you start building up speed and you're prepared for it this time. You do get a little further, but you can't make it to the top. It happens three, four, five times till finally you get off and no more of these prayers. Lord, I just, I'll do it tomorrow. Now you say, no, I can't. I've tried, Lord. I'm just having to tell you, I can't be obedient. That's where many Christians find themselves living the Christian life. I'm trying, but I just can't. 
An interesting question that we could answer, not visibly by show of hands, but, but were I to ask, how many people do you think among the Christian church today here, maybe here, how many do you think have consciously appropriated the power of God's Spirit in the last week, two, three, four? I bet the vast majority of Christians would say either, what are you talking about appropriating the power of the Spirit, or would say, oh, it's been a long time. Now, granted, you can, I think, be filled with the Holy Spirit without consciously praying any prayers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like I believe that you can pray without ceasing, right? You can pray. You can pray without forming a prayer. But would it not be odd if you talk to a Christian that says, I pray without ceasing. But you know something I haven't done for months, I just long, long time. I don't formalize any prayers to the Lord. I don't ever talk to him in that manner. We'd say that would seem odd. I think it would be quite odd for someone to say, I've gone for weeks and weeks and months and months and I hadn't thought about God's power. I haven't really thought about appropriating it. That hadn't even entered my mind. So in reality, it is something very critically important that's missing in the Christian church. So let's look at Romans 6 and I'll make my third and final statement. And here's the third statement. There are three important words, three words, Three important words in Romans 6, 1 through 13 that give us understanding to, uh, gives understanding to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Three words. You get these three words, I think it begins to come alive. It's my job to make the scriptures that are complicated here simple. I'm going to do that as best I can. I'm going to tell you the three words. We're not going to read the whole text, but I'm going to have you read several verses. Follow with me as I read, okay? The first word, and I'll quiz you at the end, three words. The first word is the word know. It is K-N-O-W, know. This has to do with an informed mind. When we know something, then our mind has been informed by the information necessary. So here are the words. Look at verse 3 of Romans 6. Or do you not, there it is, Know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Look at verse 9. There's the word knowing again. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. All right, so you read the verses, and I said, well, what do they mean? You go, ooh, I don't know. I, I, I might need to read them again. We'd probably read them again and still say, I'm not real sure. It's actually simpler than you think. Here it is. There are three things he's telling us we need to know. We need to know that we have died to sin. What does that mean? Well, when a person dies, their soul and their body are what? Separated, right? That's what death means, separation. But now it's not talking about body and soul. It's talking about you and me with our sin nature. Because this is how we come into this world. This is me. This is my sin nature. We come into this world because we're in Adam. We're in the likeness of Adam. 
These two are one. It's just like this. Oh, that's me, and it's my nature, but we're all one. Therefore, the Bible says we are slaves to sin. All right? And when it uses the word sin and slave together, there is an article in the Greek in front of it that says the sin, which means the nature of sin. We know it's the nature. So it says we're just like this. So I am sin when I come into this world. And I can do religious and good moral things, but wrong motives, I'm still going to be, I'm a slave to sin. That's the way it is. But he says, but you know what happened, Christian? You died to sin. Well, what do you mean? Well, we separated. So here's what happens. The moment of conversion, boom! Now, here I am. Here's my nature. Still in me, but now where I, I was sin, now sin is in me. Sin was me, now sin is in me. There's a difference. That's how I can be viewed perfect in the sight of God, because I'm not like this. That's why he can look at me in Christ and say, oh, you are worthy. I'm going to have to judge that sin. That's my death on the cross. I'll judge the sin, but now I don't have to judge you. You are different. You have died to sin, number one, but then you saw the word baptized. Baptized means to be identified with. Baptized means to be united. So here's what happens. Here am, here's me. Here's my old nature. I need a third hand, and I don't have one. So pretend this one stays right where it is, and here comes a third, and then I'm united. This is God's spirit. Boom! Now I'm united with him. Remember how we said we are sealed with the Holy Spirit? This is it. Now I am a slave to God. I'm a slave to Jesus. I may be a good slave, bad slave, but I'm a slave. Man, I... But now, oh, this other hand is still there, remember? It's in me. It, that's Romans 7. Now that makes Romans 7 come alive. We go, oh, that's Romans 7. That's the struggle that I'm having. It, it's sin in me. It's still there. It's not been eliminated, but it's still not... I'm not slave to it. And then the third thing, first I've been... I've been separated, I've been united, but he says you've been raised up to newness of life, meaning now you've got a capability of obedience that you would not have had otherwise. You have to know that. If you're going to be able to walk with God, you've got to know this has happened. If you just assume it's me and my will and I've got to be good and Jesus loves me, therefore I need to love him. No, it's going back on the truth of what he says. By the way, look at verse 6 with me again. Verse 6 is a little complex. It says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Would you tell me, what is the old self? Sin nature. Everybody says it. It's not true, though. That's a misnomer. It's not sin nature. Do you know what it is? The old self is Randy united to an old nature. That's the old self. In other words, he's saying, you will never, ever, ever see Randy as a non-Christian again. If ever a real Christian, never a non-Christian. It isn't going to happen. That, it's been crucified. That old self was crucified. But look at the, how the verse continues. In order that our body of sin, there's the old nature. You can't say that the old self and the body of sin is the same thing. No, this is the sin nature, and it says, might be done away with, which is a terrible translation, because when we hear done away with, we think eliminated. 
But check the margin of a study Bible, and if it uses these words done away with, it will say, actually, in the, in the, in the reference point, it will say, or in the margin, actually rendered powerless. That's what's really happened. It's been rendered powerless. It exists, but it's been rendered powerless so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Let, let me use this illustration. Let me use the illustration of a pirate's ship. Imagine a pirate ship that has an old captain that is just the meanest, vile, horrible, selfish, doesn't care about any of his, his uh, uh, crew, and he just wears them out. Finally, one night, late at night, the captain, his old captain's in his quarter, in his quarters, and everyone talks and realizes there's nobody who's an ally with him. Everybody hates him. Therefore, mutiny is the, is the answer. And so they say, we've got, to, we've got to find out who would be our next captain, though. And everyone points at Captain Smith, who's the kindest, gentlest, strongest leader, wonderful leader. He's the captain. And, and Captain Smith says, okay, I'll be your captain. And so they storm the quarters, and they take out the old captain, and they're about to make him walk the plank, and Captain Smith says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. He's been rendered powerless. He, he has none of you. I mean, he, he has no authority now. Let him walk around on the ship. We don't even need to cuff him. And in three days, we're going to hit port. We'll put him out at port, and we'll sell on forever without him. So everybody, oh, okay. New captain says, and by the way, unlike the old captain, these next three days are going to be different. These are days of rest for you, so I want you to, I want you to feel free to play games, to sleep, nap, whatever you want to do, you enjoy three days of rest. So the guys are out laying around the next day and just doing their thing and having fun, and here comes old Captain Jones. And he turns the corner, sees a group of them laying around, and says, get up and swab the deck. And they jump up and get their pails and their mops and they start working and they're sweating. And half an hour later, here comes the new captain around the corner and sees them working and says, gentlemen, gentlemen, what are you doing? This is your break. This is your rest. What are you working? Well, Captain, captain Jones told us that we... Whoa, 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 whoa. Do you not understand Captain Jones has been rendered powerless? Why would you obey him? He has no authority. No authority over you. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you, that evil one who rules our old nature, oh, he's, he's alive and well, but he's rendered powerless. And he's screaming at us, you better lust at that girl. You know what? You better be envious of that person. You better, he says, no, 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 no. You got a new captain. And by the way, he's going to be put off at port when you go to be with glory. And then we'll go on forever with his rest. But right now, you're at rest now. That's the beauty. Got to know, though, to begin with. Here's the second word. The second word is consider. The word consider is found in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, it's one thing to know something, it's another to consider. Consider is to take the information we've known and now put it to use and recognize. It actually means to reckon on. Think about it. Keep it in the, in the system of thought. You know how easy it is to forget things that we know and not take advantage of it. But he says, he's saying, you know, you forget how you've died to sin, how you've been united to Jesus, how you've been raised up. 
You've got to know those things. So reckon on them. I'd put it this way. I, I learned to play tennis here in, in Macon under Rob Downer. And, and uh, we started playing tennis, and I fell in love with tennis. Played tennis for many, many, many years now. And I might be in a match with someone that I should beat based on experience and level of competition and this, that, and the other. And, and maybe this person just feeds to my backhand, feeds to my backhand, and I'm telling you, I can't make the backhand go. I'm saying, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I get beat. And I go home, and I'm in the, the shower. and I'm just in the shower thinking about the match, and all of a sudden I go, oh, my goodness, no one. Look where I had my racket head. I can't hit a ball. What was I thinking? Now tell me this, did I learn something new while I was in the shower about the backhand? No. I reckoned on what I already knew, but I was not taking advantage of it. That's what he says do. Now you've got, you got to consider what you know. Let's look at the third word. The final word is present. Now he says it in verse 13. He says, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness of God. What's he saying there? This is a way of saying with an informed mind, you've got to have a surrendered heart. It's not just if I know the truth and I'm, I'm set free. Well, to know the truth is to set you free. Yes, we know that it says in John. But if I am not reckoning on that truth, I'm going to miss out on the freedom experience that I could have. So now that takes a surrendered heart, too. It's a surrendered heart. And, and so he says, go on, don't go on presenting the members of your body. What are the members of our body? Well, their eyes, what we see, our mouth, what we say, ears, what we hear, our hands, what we do, our feet, where we walk, our minds, what we think, our hearts, where we give our affection. He says... Look, now, take all that and present those to God as an offering to him, meaning I surrender these to you. That let, let them become members of righteousness instead of being used for the wrong things. And so the three words, I'm going to ask you, can you remember them? What's the first word? No. What's the second word? Consider. And the third word is? present. I've made it my practice day after day, virtually every day of my life, and many times through the day, having to say, Lord, you know what? i got to begin here. Please, I need to consider what I know, and I need to present to you the members of my body as instruments of righteousness. Let me close with these two quick illustrations. I was a young Christian in my high school years, and there was a man in our city that was uh, a, a young pastor that 30s, 40, I don't know how old he was, but, but I, I just know that I looked to him, and Chip and I were talking about him just uh, today. Uh, what an unusual man who walked with God. And um, I remember going to him one day, and I, uh, and I said to him, what's your secret? He said, I want to live a holy life like you live. I, I see you so yielded to God, so surrendered. God's just doing something. You know, how do, what is, is there something I need to know? And he said, well, let me ask you a question. I think I can answer that. He says, let me ask you a question. Do you do push-ups? I said, I do push-ups. He said, what is the maximum number of push-ups that you could do at one setting? I gave him the number. He said, will that really be your max? I said, that's for sure my max. If I can do that many, that would be the max. 
He says, assume that. I said, okay, let me see you do them. And so I get down and I do those push-ups. And if it really is my max, I come to that last one and I am shaking and shaking and shaking and barely able to break it out. And finally, uh, I do it. He says, imagine that you're at that moment right when you get to the top and I lean down to you and let's assume I have the ability to do it and I say to you, I'll give you $1 million if you can do one more push-up. He said, do you think you could do one more push-up? I said, well, probably adrenaline would catch, you know, it'd probably allow me to do it. He said, you'd certainly try it, wouldn't you? I said, oh, absolutely. He said, you know what would probably happen? You get down and you'd start up and you'd think I'll never make it, but somehow... You'd wheel your way, and you'd get a little further, and you'd get a little further until finally you... And that very second, I lean down and I say, one more, and I will give you $5 million. He said, do you think you'd try? I said, yeah. So you think you'd make it? I said, I don't know. He said, let me tell you, you wouldn't make it. You know what happened? You'd bend your arms in the effort, but as soon as your arms broke... Boom, you'd hit the ground with your chest. He said, you know what you'd probably do? You'd look up at me and you'd say, I can't. He said, when you come to the place in your Christian experience regarding your own capability and obedience, and you look to God and you say, God, I can't. You can. I want you to do it. That's when you begin to love. That's when you begin to to have joy. That's when you can have peace. You call on his power. It's supernatural power. Oh, is it our will? Yeah, it's our will. We're still willing for it, but the will has been empowered by God's will, by God's power. That's how it happens. I can remember having someone that I was had to work with and I had conflict constantly and every day I'd say, God, I had conflict again today and I cannot love this person. I don't even like them. I just don't, you know, oh gosh. And, and I'd say, Lord, I'm going to love them. And I tried one day and I couldn't. And then I'd, the next day I'd apologize. Same thing I told you about going up the hill. And I'd tried. <clears throat> and finally one day I saw this person coming into work. I looked at them knowing that they're about to enter the building. And I said, God, I'm not going to tell you another day that I'm going to try or, or that I'm going to do it because I know I can't. If you want to, if you want to empower me, I'm ready. And I remember the end of that day, both of us smiling. It was a different day, and I remember saying, God, you did something today. I can tell. I think that's being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So what I'm going to encourage you to do, as you leave here, I'm going to ask you to, to have a resolve uh, Jonathan Edwards had a whole list of resolves that he went through every day. Resolve, Lord, to do this. Lord, I resolve to do that. And he had resolves that he had. Here's my great resolve that I tell the Lord every day. Lord, today, resolved to consider what I know. And then I pause. And I know that I am dead to sin. I've been united to you. And I've been raised up in newness of life. Don't let me forget that today. Don't let me live as if you've done nothing in my life. And then the second thing I'll say, I'll carry on and say, and Lord, so now I present to you the members of my body, and I, and I pause. Lord, I'll give you my eyes, I'll give you my mouth, I'll give you my ears, I'll give you my hands, I'll give you my heart, and my mind. I, I give it all to you, and I know I'm going to take it back, and I do. But you know, I think the secret of growth in the Christian life is not that we never 
never take back our eyes, never take back our hearts, never take, no. It's how quickly we find ourselves saying, Lord, I re-surrender them to you. I present them to you now. And so there's little bits of time between taking back and surrender. And that's where the Christian life becomes to be the holy life it's intended to be. I'll tell you the truth. There's nothing more important in my mind for the Christian than learning and following the ideal of walking in his power. You will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Seeker, if you're here seeking to understand a relationship with Christ, know this. There's a motivation to know him. Look what we have. Separated from a, a life of of sin that's just taking us down, ruining our hearts, not allowing us to conquer. Look what we have as Christians. If you go to the cross, then you see why. Because of what he did at Calvary's cross. And then you see, well, if he would do that for me, why wouldn't I want to follow him? That's when your heart is falling in love with him, when you say, I surrender. I want to follow. You become a child of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, We would ask that even now as we close this service, uh, we'll sing. And we're going to invite you through the very chorus that we use to do what we're going to pray in that song. We're going to ask you to have your spirit fall afresh on us. And as we do that, it's not just we're asking you to do something strange, weird. We're just going to ask you to allow us to consider what we know right now and present to you the members of our body as instruments to righteousness. And for so many of us now, I would pray on their behalf and say, Lord, that's my intention right now. I want to leave this place walking in your spirit. Let me see your fruit. And Lord, for those not here, or those here not as Christians, even now, let them say, even during this song, Father, for the first time, send your spirit, fall afresh on me, seal me with your spirit. We ask it in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen.